There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello, and welcome to a Rattleism Broadcasting Premier Podcast Triple Feature. I'm the host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattleage. And on the marquee tonight are three black and white films because everything on this podcast has to have a theme. So we are all, and they're also award-winning or award-nominated films possibly going to be appearing at this year's Oscars, and we're continuing with that trend. So uh, tonight on the marquee is Belfast from Kenneth Branagh, Passing from Rebecca Hall, and Come On, Come On, Come On, Come On, Come On by Mike Mills. There's and, only two come ons in that actual title, folks. And correcting me as usual, joining me tonight is the woman who inspired me to, continue, to do some Oscar podcasts uh, so that we're not just we're not just competing amongst the other zillion other podcasts talking about Marvel and Star Wars. Ladies and gentlemen from Honeysuckle Rose Creations, Alexis Haina. How do you do, madam? Doing good. Yep. I'm the one that said, hey, is there a reason we're not actually talking about Oscar bait so then we have something to follow the trending hashtags in February and March? Yep. And, you know, low this low, low a year later, it's like, hey, Alexis, I've got five of these you're going to do. And she went, fuck my life. Oh. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> especially after I have to watch three black and white films in a row. And I like black and white films. I have several mm. on DVD. By the third one of these, I had fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah, as I, I said to you in the chat, I said, these are all great films. And I think maybe, you know, one and then take a break, go back, to, you know, go back and try it again would have been fine. You know, watch them maybe as they were coming out. You know, three in a row is a marathon. And by the end of it, you're like... Anyone gonna know what I got? I got a good Star Wars I could watch. Any, any Marvel movies? Yeah, um, it's like by the end of this, all I can think is, my God, just let me go back to playing Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. I need something different. <laughs> uh, but these are some pretty wonderful films, and we're gonna break them down here. Uh, so let's get started with Belfast. Um, so real quick, had you heard before I mentioned it, or before I, I was kind of perusing through the list of possible Oscar nominees. Had you Did you know what Belfast was? Uh, a little bit. Uh, this is one of the only three that was uh, actually put out at the local theater. So I'd seen the posters and such. Mm -hmm. uh, Passing, of course, is a Netflix uh, only. And come on, come on. I had never even heard of until uh, you suggested it. But I had seen um, the poster for this. I had seen Kenneth Branagh's name attached. Mm -hmm. So... I was able to put two and two together. I am a big fan of Kenneth Branagh's uh, films. I love his style. I think he is an amazing director. Uh, I'm glad that this time he is actually able to have Judy Dench not look like a complete embarrassment like she did in Artemis Fowl. <laughs> I, I still, my, you have, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but my, still my favorite Judy Dench. Oh, this, 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 this actress deserves better moment is Cats. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but Cats are not dogs i okay so i used to host a bad movie night with my friends where mm -hmm. we would riff movies and when cats came out all i can think is 
this is going to be the next one. And then guess what happened shortly after Cats hit theaters? Uh, COVID? Yeah. yeah. And I still haven't been able to get the bad movie night going since then. And it doesn't help that I have a very out of control Labrador here who tends to scare away some of my guests. That that would make for a fun alternative commentary. Yeah. So I, I basically said I am refusing to watch cats until I've got friends here. We have copious amounts of alcohol or some other controlled substance. <laughs> and then we can just enjoy the hell out of riffing on this movie. I cannot. I will not watch it any other way. I took my daughter to it. And, you know, she, she was at, at the time she had to have been nine, uh, nine or ten. And um, she had a good time with it, but I'm watching this thing, and I and I do remember thinking to myself, like, how did how did this get past an executive and get put into theaters without a, without a major reshoots? But anyway, we're not here to talk about cats or their bungholes. Uh, we're here to talk about the, uh, the you know real fun a real fun subject matter the the ongoing thirty year battle between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. Yes, as they call it, the troubles. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> The troubles how, in uh, Northern Ireland. It, it was kind of like <laughs> how very British. The troubles. <laughs> well, it was a very weird time. It wasn't necessarily religiously fueled. Mm -hmm. It was just. It was more or less between like Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland about whether mm -hmm. or not they were going to remain part of the UK or not. But the animosity just spilled over and right. gave fuel to pretty much whatever you wanted to be upset about you were going to be upset about so the, the the main struggle was not catholic versus protestant but that really did um you know push it i know that uh the troubles in northern ireland it was gave rise i think to like the major use of the car bomb mm -hmm. uh, i'd read a book about that years ago that like that's the boy that that got perfected in that era uh, the other thing that I always think about is Eddie Izzard joking, making the joke about the end of the Troubles, where you know he's doing you know two different Irish guys arguing over you know if you would just put down your guns, we could finally have some peace. Okay, well we'll put down the guns as soon as you do, you know. And they just go pretty much, it was it was a very weird, very yeah. ugly time. Sure. So um, I did really like this. This is uh, this is also an interesting film because it's not completely black and white we have several mm -hmm. scenes in color firstly it opens in color showing modern day belfast and then switches to black and white to show the past right. we also have a couple of scenes where the characters go to the movies or to the theater and what they see on the screen is in color mm -hmm. yeah um, I, it was an we'll get to the we'll get to the craft review in just a second but i do but you're all right this this was an interesting use of color and contrast and paletting and whatnot the film chronicles the life of a working-class Northern Irish Protestant family from the perspective of their nine-year-old son, Buddy, during the Troubles in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Buddy's father, Pa, works overseas in England, while the family, Ma, elder brother, Will, and paternal grandparents, Granny and Pop, live in Belfast. On August 15, uh, 1969, a group of Protestants stage a riot on Buddy Street. This is like within like the first two minutes of the film. At attacking homes to intimidate the local Catholics. In response, the townspeople set up a barricade on the street to prevent their return and pa returns home from england to check up on the family's well-being the family attends church where the minister delivers a harsh fork in the road speech something along the lines of what we saw in midnight mass uh yeah no kidding that minister that's like forget the car bomb that minister was the scariest thing in this movie do you <laughs> the, see the way he was sweating it was yes. terrifying the rhetoric is continually reflected upon by buddy throughout the film buddy develops feelings for a fellow fellow high achieving catholic classmate catherine and they eventually become friends Local criminal figure and sectarian rabble rouser, 
Billy Clanton, approaches Pa during demanding his involvement for the cause. When Pa refuses, he becomes aggressive and continues to incessantly approach Buddy. Meanwhile, the family struggles to pay off their accumulated debts. Pa dreams of emigrating to Sydney or Vancouver, a prospect met with distress from Ma. However, she can no longer deny the option of leaving Belfast as the conflict worsens and Pa is offered a promotion and housing deal in England from his employers. They attempt to discuss the matter with the boys, but Buddy breaks down at the thought of leaving. Buddy and local girl Moira uh, attempt to steal chocolates from a sweatshop. This is the best part of the movie. From a sweet, sweet shop. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say from a sweatshop. Huh? I'm sweet shop. Um, but the plan goes awry. When later questioned by the police, Buddy does not reveal his co-conspirators. Following this, Moira recruits Buddy into her local gang who participate in the looting of a supermarket. A reluctant Buddy is coerced into stealing a box of laundry detergent before he returns home and informs Ma of his activities. Ma berates him and drags both Buddy and Moira back to the ongoing looting in order to return the stolen items. Billy then you gotta appears- respect a, I'll say you gotta respect a woman who basically marches in and makes <laughs> looters, violence, probably a few gunshots, holding her kids and says, put this shit back. That, that's some parenting for you. Yeah. Billy, the, Billy then appears and takes them as hostage, uh, as leverage for his own escape. Pa, Will, and the army arrive at the scene to end the riot. This initiates a standoff with Billy who attempts a shootout until Pa and Will manage to disarm him. Billy is then promptly arrested and swears retribution. Realizing they are no longer safe in Belfast, the family decide to leave for England before departing, but he bids farewell to Catherine. He later laments whether he could have pursued a future with her despite the fact that she was Catholic. Pa responds that it shouldn't make any difference, and as Granny watches, the family boards a bus headed for the airport. All right, Alexis, fire away. What did you think of this one? You know, this Wikipedia entry also completely forgets to mention the death of the grandpa. Yes, um, he does. He does, in fact, pass away uh, some one point in the movie. Um, Near the end, right when they yeah, decide yeah. to leave, he dies. Yeah, uh, he says something along the lines of, oh, I'll be here when you get back. And it's like dies right after. Um, anyway, so, yeah, this was really, really good. I I, I enjoyed this picture. Um, it's, it's about the right length of time. I think 90 minutes is all you really needed to to tell this. And I like the fact that there was this, I, the thing I liked about this movie and I'll pitch it over back to you is you take this really big, complicated historical struggle between these two groups of, uh, religious folks living in this area and you boil it down so that you could see it from the perspective of this child who kind of gets it, but you know, is still a child and some of it's escaping him, the nuance of it all. And he's just trying to live his life. And that's why I think like the best scene in this movie was him stealing the Turkish delight with, uh, with his cousin, just because it's like, it was nice to see him doing kid stuff in the middle of all of this. And, you know, and that's, and that's the bottom line here is that all any of these people wanted to do was live their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have at least two or three different episodes of raucous violence interrupting all of that, you know, and them still trying to maintain a semblance of normalcy. Your thoughts? Pretty much. the uh, You're right on the money. We have this great scene where Ma talks about how she doesn't want to leave, not because, uh, you know, she thinks things will get better necessarily. Mm-hmm. You dropped your bone. You go get it. I'm not picking it up for you. <laughs> or... she basically says if we leave that all that will be left is the nutters Mm -hmm. and so she talks about how it's like it's not necessarily she thinks she things are gonna get a bit better it's more along the lines of she doesn't want to desert this land and just leave it for these people who are destroying everything well i think there are you know people in a situation like that and it's represented by the mom who was like you know sure we can leave we can run but you know is 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 our home not worth fighting for you know and how and how much should how much should we run 
you know, at what point do you not stand and fight for what you believe in for what's important to you? And and that's a lot of what drives this movie is you have people who are just like, this isn't worth it. It's not worth traumatizing our family, possibly getting killed because, you know, they're blowing stuff up. I mean, like right in the beginning, you know, when I was talking about car bombs before, they were using a detonation uh, mechanism. In this particular case, they just literally lit the gas tank on fire and just rolled it down the road. Basically turned it into a Molotov cocktail on wheels. Right, right. And, you know, and credit to Kenneth Branagh and the special effects team, it looked awesome. Yeah. You know, like, you, know you and I have watched, we, we were joking about this earlier, you and I have watched a lot of, you know, big time action movies with big special effects and everything going splody. And, I, and, and here, you could see that there was a lot of care and craft and time put into that explosion so that it looked as devastating as it probably was. I mean, you know, the attention to the glass falling and all of that and, the, you know, the fires blooming out of the car, you know, even for black and white, it looked gorgeous. And Absolutely. it was terrifying. They did a really good job. This is one of the things I found appealing about this film is that, yes, Belfast was going through an absolute nightmare at this time. Mm -hmm. People were being killed. People were being just, it was horrible. But Brana gives such an appeal to this neighborhood. Everyone mm -hmm. is so friendly to one another, with the exception of Billy Clanton, who is just a bully who's taking advantage <laughs> of this uh, ruckus to get what he wants. You know, he's basically just a sociopath who now sees the fighting. He's like, oh, cool. I can go beat shit up or beat people up and steal shit. And, you know, I can just blame it on the violence. You know, it's a common enough thing when you're dissatisfied. And this is why I think this movie being made now is resonant because and I just talked about this with, with something else that I saw recently. There's a lot of reoccurring themes in what I've been reviewing lately of dissatisfied, disenfranchised people finding a target to take all of their anger and frustration and impotence out on. Exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, while Belfast tells the story of this particular time and place in Ireland's history, in the UK's history, it's a it's a tale that's very resonant now of what we're going through here in the world and particularly in America. Very much. But again, the neighborhood that he that is portrayed in this movie by Kenneth mm -hmm. Branagh is so appealing. Everyone knows everyone's name. Everyone mm -hmm. is very friendly. Everyone gets along really well. And that is part of what Ma talks about. She says, you know, if we leave, no one, we're not going to know anyone. We know everyone here. And there is something really great about being in a place where you're on friendly terms with everyone. Sure. You know, Belfast is going through hell, but there is such a beautiful light. Mm -hmm. on this neighborhood and this family that you understand why they don't necessarily want to leave. And I'd also like to add props to Jamie Dornan, who actually is quite a good actor when he's not playing a sociopathic sex addict. Which, which show are you referring to? 50 shades. Oh, that, Oh God, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> I have serious issues with the Fifty Shades series, both the movies and the books, but we're not going to get into that here. Yeah, leave but that one for my wife, okay? <laughs> gladly. <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't real. I, I actually didn't realize he was Irish. Mm -hmm. He is, and he was really good in this. Well, look, and, I, and I don't want to tangent off in this, especially because, you know, it, you just said you don't want to talk about it, but also because I'm going to be talking about it at a different podcast. But, uh, just as a point of comparison, because people do get on the Fifty Shades as being like terribly acted, terribly written, you know, just a, a, an abortion of a series, the worst thing to ever be captured on film. And he's not great in it. 
Um, but I'll tell you, that apparently is not his fault because no. he's a he's a stellar actor. He is great in this. It's a very understated, um, very quiet performance, but I think it's what the character called for. And obviously, in the very capable hands of Kenneth Branagh, he can act very, very well. When he's in the can when he's in the hands of whatever Toaster Oven was directing the Fifty Shades movies, apparently he can't pull you know a line reading out of his ass worth of shit it's very similar to the argument about robert pattinson mm -hmm. being batman versus and was like oh the the you know the dick from twilight it's like <laughs> twilight was not robert pattinson's fault no one could have done any better with what they were given for yeah. that role you know hell we even gave kristen stewart props for her uh role in spencer here not too long ago plug plug yeah. on a previous triple well, feature she's winning awards left and right for it i mean it's yeah. not like we were completely like out of the out of the, i mean the movie itself was this weirdo artsy upside down mixed up mix of a movie but she's stellar in it yeah to your point yeah and jamie dorn he is not at fault for mm -hmm. the disaster that was 50 shades again no. we are not going on a tangent about what's <laughs> wrong with that series because i have right. dinner to make and i really don't want to be here for the next 20 hours no i do last thing i want to bring up and then we're going to call call a close to this uh portion move on to the next movie uh jude hill as buddy you know it's 50 50 whether or not you're gonna get a child actor who doesn't take you completely out of the movie and I thought he did a really uh, lovely job as this character. I thought he was very sympathetic. Um, my my other favorite scene in this movie, just in terms of the drama, you know, and the acting that is on display, is when they're telling Buddy when they're 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 as a parent would do. This was very again, this was very resonant with me because I kind of had to do this with my kids. We are trying to like gauge how they're going to react to something, and so you're like, what if, just hypothetically, what if we did blah blah yakety schmackety, and then you're like, you see what they do, and so they're they're saying the thing, hey, how would you think about moving to England, and he flips out but he but it's not like you know the problem child kid way or you know so, some obnoxious other kid where you don't have any sympathy for him like he's having kind of a meltdown there and you feel legitimately bad for him and buddy and um jude hill played that scene to a plum he re he really nailed that performance absolutely the fact he talks about how he doesn't want to leave belfast and part of that is also we have that ongoing thing with him and catherine which mm -hmm. was so adorable i absolutely mm -hmm. one of my favorite scenes is when he gets up to the second seat okay for the record whatever teacher moves kids around based on who's doing the best <laughs> you are a sucky teacher it was the 60s leave her I, alone and it was horrible just it's like no you do not do that but yeah the point is he wants to go up he wants to do well enough to move up front right because Catherine is the top student in the class see, and you get you, this see, great you pick at the teacher but what a great motivator you got the hot for some girl she's sitting in the front row study your books and you can get there see great motivation but i absolutely love it they get this great scene he gets the second scene and he looks over and you think he's daydreaming and looking at Catherine, and then south and it's all slow-mo you think we're, he's just gonna have this big smile on his face and suddenly he looks over and you realize it's dawning on him Catherine's not there she's behind me someone <laughs> else is there what the hell I oh my this scene actually does i learned math for nothing <laughs> This actually does have some really good laughs. I also like there's mm -hmm. a little cutscene where uh, uh, Buddy is talking. I think he's talking to his grandpa about how he mm -hmm. knows that he knows when his family doesn't have money. And right. you have this cutscene of the of the I guess it's the landlord mm -hmm. coming in to collect. And he goes to answer the door and Ma grabs him and yanks him back. <laughs> 
and hides it when he wants to shout. Nobody's home. She just covers his mouth. Like 10 seconds here, but Lara McDonald as Moira was my other favorite character in this whole thing. She's fantastic. And she's such a like a little troublemaker and a rabble rouser. They have quite the uh the little rascals thing going on, the two of them. And, you know, and it's so funny because like she has this thick Irish accent and she's playing the she's doing her line readings rather breathlessly. She's like you got to I'm gonna massacre this, but you like, you got to steal something good, or you we're not gonna let you in our gang, you don't understand. And it's like I'm watching this. Who let her do that? It's so it was like the joke that Christian and I talked about. The mascot from the Lucky Charms uh commercials <laughs> was a better representation of Ireland than the travesty you just pulled. I listen, lady, I'm not here to do impressions. I'm try, trying to say that uh, last year when, when Christine and I did our uh, review for St. Patrick's Day, our comic review, and at the end of it, we were doing an, am, um, a, uh, an Amazon plug, and we were looking at, like, like great Irish, uh, like, compilations and whatnot. And, they, were, and they, they just got increasingly more insulting to Irish people. <laughs> it just, it kind of reminded me of that. It was just like, at some point, this crosses into parody. Um, but you know, look, she did, she did a good job and I'm sure um, I, Kenneth Brown is not an idiot. I'm, I'm sure whatever he got out of her is what he was looking for. But I kept, every time she had a line reading, you're right. I, I kept thinking, oh, he stole my lucky charms. You know, <laughs> like, wow. Well, he stole your Turkish delight. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody eats Turkish, Turkish delight. delight. <laughs> um, so, I've yeah. had Turkish delight. I don't really get the appeal from C.S. Lewis. Fair enough. Um, so anything else before, like real quickly, anything else? Because if not, we're going to jump into a plug and then into the next movie. Again, the craft of this was really good. I know we'll talk about the black and white uh, aspect later. That's going to be a big part of this ending conversation. But I really love this one shot near the opening that is a, uh, it's a repeated circle around uh, Buddy. He's mm -hmm. playing in the alley of his neighborhood and the protesters are starting to come down and he knows something's about to go happen, but he's a kid. He has no idea what's about to happen. He's just like, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And we get this repeated pan around him where you can see the protesters starting to come and you can see people on the street starting to go into their homes going, oh God, something's going down. And it's so well done. Again, mm -hmm. I love Brana as a director. I really like his style. All right, I want to quick read, part of the reason we're doing this again, this is one of our Oscar Beatty triple features, uh, Accolades. Uh, at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival, the film won the People's Choice Award. On October 11th, 2021, it was announced that newcomer Jude Hill would be put forward in the Best Actor Award at the 94th Academy Awards in 2022. While remaining key cast members, Katrina Balfe, Judy Dench, Jamie Dornan, and Syrian Hens have been entered into the Best Supporting Actress and Supporting Actor categories. Best Narrative Feature Award at the Middleburg Film Festival went to Belfast. Kenneth Branagh won a 2022 Golden Globe for Best Screenplay. And I think... This is on the short list for uh, a Best Picture nomination at the upcoming Oscars, you know, aside from Best uh, Best Actor for Jude Hill. So we'll see. Um, it's And I know it's got some stiff competition in that category. Really hope Brano gets the director nomination. Yeah, me too. All right. Um, I'll tell you what this film did not need. It did not need Grammarly. Uh, but however... Nice segue. Thank you. For you listeners of Triple Feature, 
Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. In our next black and white movie that we're doing that is also a highly touted by critics far and wide and winner or nominee of many a film festival award is Passing. Passing is a 2021 black and white drama film written, produced, and directed by Rebecca Hall in her feature directorial debut. It's based on a 1929 novel of the same name by Nella Larson. And in the title refers to African-Americans who had skin color light enough to be perceived as white, referred to as Passing. It stars Tessa Thompson from uh, every Rattlings and Broadcasting Network's favorite uh, movie, Ragnarok, uh, Thor Ragnarok. It's stars- just made, I'll say, and once again, Pat and Roberts suddenly feel a chill go up their spine. <laughs> uh, Ruth Nega, known for the television series Preacher and the film Loving. Um, Andre Holland, Bill Camp. Uh, Gabegna Akinagbi, who's been in a bunch of stuff with David Simon, not, not, not just wire as a as far that yeah, as well as the deuce uh antoinette and alexander skarsgård all right so um i'll just jump into the plot here so we can talk about this real quick 1920s new york city irene redfield a light-skinned black woman living in harlem meets a childhood friend claire blue by a chance at a hotel dining room while Irene is married to a black doctor, she all uh, the the also light skinned Claire passes as white and has married a wealthy white man from Chicago named John, like you do. Claire invites Irene up to her hotel room so they can talk more openly. Claire explains that after her father died, she was raised by her two white aunts and married John very young. They are interrupted by John, who openly despises and degrades black people, unaware of his wife's or Irene's racial background because he's way dense. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I can't help but feel that after every take of the scene, Alexander Skarsgård just walked off the set just going, oh, my God, I <laughs> just feel so dirty because it is an ugly scene well not only that i mean well he's that that's that time period that's that character i have not i don't necessarily have an issue with that i mean people like you you, you take a role you play a racist every once in a while it happens that's not my issue the issue is that is tessa thompson i get the light skin thing but her facial features whatever like how are you in how are you in that room (laughs) you know and you're like yeah sure tessa thompson's tessa thompson's white yeah absolutely I think that's part of why this film was uh, also shot in black and white. Actually, Mm -hmm. you want to stop scratching me? Um, Part of the black and white choice was the fact that uh, Rebecca Hall was horribly under budget for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, according to the page here, uh, with less than a month before production was set to begin, she had to apply for two grants Mm -hmm. to cover uh, the difference on the budget just because she had so little money there for that. Mm -hmm. But it really does uh, work well for that. And I think that's part of the appeal is that by shooting it in black and white, yes, we know what test tessa thompson looks like because we've seen her in so many other movies mm. but in black and white it's okay fa- to, you know to your point and i want to continue with the plot synopsis so i don't want to get too far off but um ruth nega you can make that argument with and i think to your point the black and white lends itself to you if you don't know what she really looks like thinking oh yeah this is a white woman it looks it works less well 
with Tessa Thompson. And it's not like Tessa Thompson does anything in that scene when he's there, when she's originally in the dining room and she's got the hat over her face. Sure. I could, I, you could make the argument. She was obscuring her face so she could get, a, get away with it. But there's nothing in that room and there's nothing going on with the light in that room that would make me think that if you were sitting across from Tessa Thompson, you wouldn't know she was black. Then that's the only reason why I, I made the joke about what are you dense and 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 i want to talk about this when we get to the craft so i'm going to come back to this but like that lended a lot of tension to that scene because i thought he knew she was black and then later on when he's when he suddenly discovers oh wait a minute you're not white i'm like wow <laughs> catching, just now catching up are you all right yeah well. i guess the idea is that he thinks that she is greeks uh, Spanish, Mediterranean, essentially. I, look, I, I have met some people who absolutely, despite having olive or darker skin, could you don't know if they're white, black, uh, Native American, Hispanic. You know, they, they could pass for all of them. I get it. I don't. Mm, I don't know if Tessa Thompson's one of those people, but that's, I guess, something we can discuss in, at length in a minute. Well, anyway. So we were actually <laughs> joking about this with the Moon Knight trailer that came mm -hmm. out because we were talking about Oscar Isaac's cast as an Egyptian. Mm -hmm. and I said, he's one of those actors that has, uh, we know what his ethnicity is, but he has a skin tone and hair that he could pass for so many different ethnicities. It's like, it's the same ballpark as Alfred Molina <laughs> and Ben Kingsley. You know, these right. are actors who could play so many different uh, roles like that, and they fit, you, you wouldn't be able to tell. Irene leaves the hotel angry with Claire and refuses to respond to Claire's letters. However, after Claire unexpectedly shows up at Irene's home and apologizes for the encounter, they rekindle their friendship. Claire, who, who wishes to associate with black people again, invites her to do a dance party that Irene is organizing. Most of the guests at the party find Claire charming, including Irene's husband, Brian. While there, Irene reveals Claire's secret to her friend, novel writer Hugh Wentworth, who seems less impressed with Claire than are others. As time passes, Claire soon becomes involved in all aspects of Irene's life, joining Irene and Brian on all their outings. At first, Irene seems happy to have Claire around, but soon she becomes disillusioned with Claire and starts to grow dissatisfied with her presence. Brian, also dissatisfied, attempts to teach his and Irene's children about racism in America as Irene refuses to move anywhere else. However, uh, I'm starting to see a theme between these movies. However, Irene believes that the children are too young to learn about such things, inciting an argument between the two, further straining their marriage. After Brian invites Claire to a tea party from which Irene purpose is perfectly excluded, Irene begins to suspect that Claire and Brian are having an affair. When out shopping with her friend Felice, who is unable to pass, Irene encounters John and hurries away as he begins to realize, oh no, she's not white, the truth about his wife's racial background. Irene tries to warn Claire, but decides against it when she is unable to reach her by phone. As Brian and Irene and Claire are on their way to Felice's Christmas party on the top floor of the seven-story building, Irene asks Claire what she would do if John ever learned the truth. Claire replies that she would move back to Harlem to be with Irene, a response to which Irene finds troubling. During the party, Irene remains silent, avoiding other guests. She opens a large vertical window <laughs> to smoke. Suddenly, John angrily forces himself into the apartment, demanding to see Claire, who remains calm, and then moves next to Irene by the window. John accuses her of being a dirty liar and lunges towards her, at which point Irene abruptly puts an arm across Claire's pelvis. Claire falls backwards out the window, but it's not made clear whether John pushed her or Irene pushed her or she committed suicide. The horror! All other guests rush outside, knowing whether, not knowing whether or not Claire is dead. After some hesitation, Irene slowly goes downstairs, where the police are questioning guests. Brian states that he believes John pushed Claire, but when he asked, Irene asserts that she believes the fall was an accident. 
The film ends with the police declaring death by misadventure, which is the name of my next hardcore band. Irene sobbing in Brian's arms and Claire's body being carried away by medics. All right, Alexis. Um, I really like this movie. I liked it a lot. This spoke to me on a lot of different levels. I, I do enjoy a good movie that's a meditation on race, which is a, really what this is. Um, might be a little long. This comes in at uh, just over an hour and a half, uh, 99 minutes to be sure. Uh, I think this suffers from a, not, not nearly as much as some other ones that we've talked about as, as of late. But yet another one where you know it's going to go to Netflix, so you don't have to worry about the length of the thing. This could use some tighter editing, uh, I think. But other than that, I thought it was really a mastercraft. Another great use of the black and white filming technique and some absolutely. And I mean, if uh, Nella, sorry, uh, Ruth Nega doesn't get at least a nomination for best actress in a feature, I don't know who does. She was the high point of this thing. Her line delivery was utterly amazing that the way she captured the speaking style of that era of those folks um it was like sing-songy it was music to my ears what did you think this was definitely my favorite of all the movies that we watched there is such a great meditation on the idea of the race not only from the way that Rini sees claire but also the way mm -hmm. Rini sees black people around her she obviously has a little bit of a thing against claire as it starts going because she start. i think she's jealous of her or mm -hmm. maybe a little resentful that she can pass herself off so easily as white and you know Rini talks about how she wants to be back amongst her people as it were and claire has always been around you know uh, other black people and she's just a, i think she's a little perturbed at claire i feel like she basically looks at her and goes you've turned your back on us but at the same time it's clear that Rini benefits from passing we have mm -hmm. the opening scene of her shopping and getting uh this seat at this beautiful restaurant and everything and i'm not gonna lie i am not 100 familiar on racism in 1920s in new york i do not know how prevalent it was especially since we know that she is married to a doctor she's dressed in very fine clothing so it's not a case of she's black and poor she's black and she has a decent amount of money she's got a freaking maid working in their house um taking care of their two boys there was a black wealth class um the part of the pouring the roaring 20s and like the harlem renaissance and all of that there was a moneyed black class but you still can't get away from the fact that it was the early 20th century and whites still hated blacks by and large you know that was a big part of it but exactly but, but again if you lived in an enclave of mostly african-american people Again, the whites don't go to Harlem, the blacks don't leave Harlem, everyone, you know, it's kind of a separate but equal situation going on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, you get the idea that she's benefiting. We have the scenes mm -hmm. between her and her husband. The scene with her and her husband talking about there, there is a lynching in the news and mm -hmm. her husband wants to tell their two boys about what happened. And she says, no, they don't need to know about it. And you get the idea that it's not just that she's being protective of her two sons. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to scare them. She doesn't want to freak them out. But also it's the fact that she, I don't think she has really experienced the kind of horror that so mm -hmm. many black people have gone through. And it's clear her husband who has much darker skin is relating to that a little bit more. And the two sons, they have very dark skin. They can't pass. So you get this concept that maybe she's in a little bit of a denial herself about how things are. So while she is, again, you know, very judgmental against uh, Claire, 
she's not exactly totally happy with herself either. Mm -hmm. You get a great line earlier where she talks about how she says she's satisfied with where she is, but I don't think she is. The movie asks the question that black people have been discussing for millennia, uh, but let's just go with the last hundred years, is how do you want to deal with white people in this world? Do you want to just live separately from them and be black and, and hang on to your identity and, you know, just hope, you know, the white people don't come across the tracks as they have want to do over the past hundred years and cause mischief? Um, or do you want to try to go along to get along, somehow operate within their society and lose your entire sense of self? And so you have Tessa Thompson's character and Irene who has, you know, made the decision that, hey, I just want to be black and live among black people. And, you know, I will pass when necessary because I got to get things done. But for the most part, I will make a go of it. Like she has the one writer friend that talks about in the, in the, the, um, the plot synopsis. She has a writer friend that she gets on with and they're able to sort of talk to each other as equals. But I, you know, I think, you know, deep down inside, she's like, eh, I'd rather not be bothered. Um, well, even he, there's a couple of times where he says a few things that you can mm -hmm. tell she's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're white and you're ignorant, whatever. It's not that he, he yeah. is very passively racist. He does, he is not anti black. He is not, right. you know, but he is not he is very of the time. Yes. And he doesn't really, he doesn't think about some of these things right. he's saying. And, and it's so funny because, like, I, I feel like the world we're living in right now is so lacking in nuance where you can have somebody who, absolutely can appreciate the black person while still having negative feelings about the black race in general, you know, and just sort of forgetting that the person is a part of that race. And so he very much appreciates Tessa Thompson and what she does and what she brings to the table and treats her basically as an equal, but can't break himself of the habit of, 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 you know, she's, she's part of the black race that he doesn't have tremendously great feelings about. Um, but getting over to Claire, you know, Claire kind of threw in the towel. Uh, and Claire talks about how her, you know, she was raised by two white aunts and she married a white man, and she sort of learned the game early on. If like if I can pass myself off as white, I can get so much more in this world and I can get so much further ahead, and all it'll cost me is my soul. And and that's the great motivator of her in this movie, is that after having sold her soul. She's trying to reclaim it, but she's doing, but in doing so, she is um, causing harm to Irene. She sort of shattered this neat little tightly wound capped world. You brought up the conversation, and I want to address it now before this conversation gets too unwieldy or you know or off the rails. And you and I talked about it offline. There's a great conversation in the movie about do we or do we not talk about American racism and lynchings and whatnot with our children. And whether or not that resonates with you personally, you know, on the specifics of the incident, certainly I think most people can relate to the idea of at what point do you start to tell the children, your children, and whether it's your own biological children or nieces or nephews or, you know, the t kids you teach, whatever, you know, brothers, sisters that might be really young, about the horrors of the world. And, you know, there's always this conversation that takes place about whether or not you know, should kids grow up too soon? Should, you know, should kids hold on to their youth for as long as possible? Like, you know, the belief is wait until they get 15, 16, 17, 18 before you start telling them that the world is crap. And then, you know, the counter argument is better to prepare them early. This isn't going away and it's only going to be more of an uphill slog later on. 
And that is the conversation that Irene and her husband are having. And the husband's like, look, it, can we not ignore the fact that black people get hung from trees in this country? And that's a very real thing. And they need to be aware of it because they could be a part of the moneyed class and just, you know, properly shine shoes and fine tailored suits and nice high paying jobs. And the minute a white woman says he did blah, blah, yakety schmackety in an elevator, I'm going to burn, you know, hang him and burn down the street. And that's Pretty the much. reality they're living in, in the twenties of, of, you know, in Harlem. You know, this is not, again, we're not going to talk about this too much because we agreed that this, again, we don't want to go too deep and too long about this conversation. No, I'm addressing that it was there though. But you know, I look at conversations like that, and I remember as a kid when we learned about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And I was learning about the Holocaust in, I, I think I, we first started learning about it in middle school. Mm -hmm. And we talked about what happened in the concentration camps, and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I was shocked. I was, I remember going home and feeling so just. Hey, real, real quick, if you really want a horrifying experience, watch the last two episodes of Band of Brothers. If you're interested in the Holocaust and a good cry, please continue. I thought you were about to make a joke there. Nice nope. <laughs> no, no, no. Andrew but, and I had a lengthy conversation about it. It is horrifying. I believe you. And yeah, part of me wonders what would have happened if I had learned about that at a later age. But at the mm -hmm. same time, we just reviewed not too long ago the uh, HBO Watchmen series, which starts off with the Tulsa race riots, which were not taught to me at all. I talked to anyone. You, you, you might get it in college. And I looked it up afterwards i was like wait this was real and i felt terrible i'm like why wasn't this taught why mm -hmm. didn't we learn about this so the fact is that it is scary but i do believe that we need to prepare our children for the horrors and we need to i mean you don't want to tell them in elementary school but i do side uh with the father in this yeah um, that was not a tremendously sympathetic scene for the tessa thompson character who for the most part in this movie her perspective is the one that I'm with, you know, I, I can see Claire sort of shattering her Irene's reality and being an agent of chaos there. And so I'm cheering for Irene for most of this picture to try to separate herself from here, see her for the agent of chaos that she is and try to, you know, put a wall between them. And, you know, and when she goes out the window, you know, it, it, there really is a question of, did Irene push her? Did Irene, you know, shove her in the way of John so that John pushes her out the window accidentally, which he might not have had she not touched her. Like, you don't know, but there is this twinge of like, you know, this woman had it coming, sort of speak, in, in that she pushed Irene into this really terrible position with all of her behaviors, not the least of which she thought she was, you know, her and John were were having an affair together. So not John, um, her and the the husband. Now I'm the doctor, Rini's yeah. husband. Yeah, I might be mixing up characters now. Um, okay, yeah, so Alexander Skarsgård is John, and then Andre is Brian. That's what I was referring to. She thinks that, you know, um, Claire and Brian are having an affair, and you can, and while, look, no one's wishing murder on anybody, uh, you can certainly see where she might have a lapse in judgment based on the stress of the situation there. So, uh, you know, I really, really liked passing. I don't want to spend too much longer on this, but um, I liked passing. I thought that, you know, of the three of these, I think this was the most resonant and probably the best made um, other than the length of it. I think Tessa, I think Tessa Thompson and um, Nella, gee, I keep doing her name wrong, 
Um, Ruth Nega. Ruth Nega did an outstanding job. And again, Ruth, Ruth and Ruth Nega acts. <laughs> Tessa Thompson's an outstanding actress. And Ruth Nega, I thought, actually acted like circles around her. She is phenomenal. But let's not lose sight of the fact that she's kind of the villain in this thing. It is also interesting. I want to talk about the fact that this is uh, Rebecca Hall's uh, directorial debut. Most people, at least I would say our audience will know Rebecca Hall is playing Maya Henson in Iron Man 3. But what a lot of people don't know is that she is actually a quarter black. She looks completely white she's got brown hair uh her father is a uh, mixed race and her mother is dutch she's apparently a direct descendant of a uh revolutionary war veteran uh, named basabiel norman a free black man mm-hmm. so uh i find it very interesting so she kind of does have a bit of a knowledge about passing you know the idea that she grew up with black roots but to the untrained eye She's 100% white. Yeah, I, I know her from the one of the Godzilla movies, uh, Godzilla vs. Oh, Tom. right. She was in that, too. Yeah, I knocked me over with a with a teaspoon. I had no idea she was at all black in any way, shape, or form. She looks as white as the day is long. Exactly. So she was an interesting choice. I do like her style, although I'm going to admit there are several scenes that go out of focus. I don't really get the point of those scenes, and frankly, I wasn't a huge fan of them. Okay, I mean that's fair. There's no accolades section here. Is up, oh, but hang on, I, I take that back. The film had its world premiere at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival on January 30th, 2021, and it became a limited theatrical release on October 27th, 2021, prior to streaming on Netflix on November 10th. It received acclaim from critics who praised Hall's screenplay and direction and performances of Thompson and Nega. The film was named one of the top 10 films of 2021 by the African American Film Critics Association. For her performance, Nega was nominated for the Golden Globe. Good for her, as she as she deserves it. Mm-hmm. And the Screen Actors Guild Award in the category of Best Supporting Actress. The only thing I'm going to complain about, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm about to do a plug. The only thing I'm going to complain about, Alexis, don't you understand, is that you're talking about the roaring 20s. You know what I mean? This is the jazz scene, man. And this movie was like outside of maybe a few snippets here and there, utterly devoid of a soundtrack that really would have livened the picture up. I wish we could have gotten more of the 1920s, you know, the roaring 20s jazz sound of that era. Let's get some... uh, count basie in there and whatnot let's let's get some real music of that era and while it's not there do you know where you can find said music tell me tell me i will (laughs) we happen to be giving away a free 30-day trial the amazon music unlimited service where you can hear music from the 20s the 40s the 60s the 80s and other decades that are in even numbers uh, there's a link here at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Uh, you can try it out for that 30 days, as we were saying. Uh, you can like it, you keep it. You can um, keep pay the monthly fee. It's con- commiserate with Spotify and Apple Music. You can cancel it at any time. No fuss, no muss. All right. Come on, Alexis. Come on! Come you talk, on! You can talk mostly about this film because, <laughs> yeah. Confession, folks, 
I fell asleep through this one. This is where we lost Alexis. She fell off the yellow brick road and into the poppy, into the poppy field. Um, all right. So the next one is Come On, Come On, a 2021 black and white drama film, as these all are, which was written and directed by Mike Mills. Uh, Mike Mills, you might know from his other independent films, Beginners, 20th Century Woman, um, of which he won a uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix... Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, Scott McNary, Molly Webster, Jabuki Young-White, and Woody Norman. The film had its world premiere at the 48th Telluride Film Festival on September 2nd, 2021, and was released in limited theaters on November 1921 by A24. By the way, just as an aside, if, if, you're, if you're looking for two studios that put out some truly interesting and wonderful and bizarre pictures, look no further than A24 and Neon. These have been some of my favorite movies of the past year, from Zola to Titan to, you know, just all these nutty-ass pictures. I have truly, uh, I think Lamb was one of them. All of these artsy-fartsy movies that I've been forcing on everybody have come from either Neon or A24. Just truly outstanding stuff here. Uh, so they're now my go-tos for when I need something, you know, not Marvel. Um it has received acclaim from critics for its, uh, with praise for its performances, direction, and cinematography. So skipping right into the plot synopsis, Johnny is a radio journalist traveling the country with his producing partners, interviewing children about their lives and their thoughts for the future. While in Detroit, uh, he calls his sister Viv. They had not spoken for the past year since their mother's death from dementia. Viv asks Johnny if he can come to Los Angeles and watch her nine-year-old son, Jesse, as she has to travel to Oakland to care for her estranged Paul, husband, Paul, struggling with mental illness. Johnny agrees, and he and Jesse quickly forge a bond. Despite Jesse's obnoxious personality, I, I, actually, I thought that he had mental illness, too. I had to go back and read that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I... Uh, what I saw very briefly, I was just like, so this child is autistic or something, right? Yeah, I, I honestly thought, because like I sometimes I'm watching these, and I'm kind of, you know, I, I got Chris Bailey who needs a TikTok apology. Things are always happening in my world. Uh, so I don't always pay the closest attention when, when I'm watching these things. And I'm watching this one, and I'm seeing how the kid behaves. And I'm like, does he have some sort of developmental disorder? Like, nope, he's just an asshole. Okay, terrific. Um, so moving on. Uh, and unwillingness to talk about his own life, says Johnny. Viv experiences difficulties dealing with Paul, who has to stay longer than expected in Oakland, while Johnny is pressured by his partners to return to work. Johnny convinces Viv to let him take Jesse with him back to New York City. Jesse increasingly gets on Johnny's nerves, and John event Johnny eventually snaps at Jesse, scaring him. He that later was the point that I fell asleep. Okay. He later apologizes as at Viv's urging. He shows Jesse how to operate his audio equipment and let him come along to more interviews with children. Jesse continues to ask Johnny questions about his personal life and his relationship with Viv. It is revealed that Johnny and Viv fought over their mother's deathbed while differing opinions on how to care for her and that Johnny was once in a long-term relationship with a woman whom he still loves. Johnny, uh, Jesse gets homesick and he yearns to see his mother while Johnny is increasingly pressured to return to the road and resume work. Johnny buys him a plane ticket back to L.A., but en route, Jesse requests to stop and use the bathroom, locking himself in. As a parent, you must, you must know that that's the oldest trick in the book and refusing to leave until Johnny relents and lets him stay. Johnny takes Jesse to New Orleans as the crew continues to interview children. Jesse begins to ask questions about his father and what is wrong with him and expresses fear that he will grow up to have some the same problems himself. Johnny reassures Jesse that this will not happen as Viv has taught him how to deal with 
his emotions in a healthier way. Viv later calls and says that Paul has accepted treatment and doing and is doing much better. And the doctors are letting him come home. Johnny shares the good news with Jesse, who suddenly runs away through a park in fear. Uh, Johnny catches up and tells him it's okay that he is not happy. They scream together like you do in frustration until Jesse begins laughing. Viv flies to New Orleans to pick up Jesse and take him back to Los Angeles. Johnny promises to stay in touch with both of them. Johnny later sends Jesse a voice recording, recounting everything that happened on their trip as Jesse had requested so that he does not forget the experience. Uh, I really like this movie. Like, I get it. You know, if you watch these like, three in a row, um, you know, this this one might not necessarily retain your attention. But as a story about a guy coming to grips with his own you know, failings of personality and whatnot and sort of learning on the fly to be a father that, I, you know, the the father, son, uncle, nephew, uh, brothers, sort of male bonding thing really, really resonated with me. I get that that might not be everyone's cup of tea. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix, you know, everyone looks at Joker and it's like, oh, my God, what a great actor. Hang on. Joaquin Phoenix was a perfectly fine actor before Joker. He went on to do some pretty amazing stuff well after Joker. And this is one of them. He... He really, you know, as sort of an average everyday guy doing a thing and having to deal with his child, he really creates a very memorable character, in my opinion, here. The kid himself, I think, did a did a very fine job, too, of playing an obnoxious child. Um, and I, I was there for the journey. It's a talkie movie. These are all talkie movies. Um, there's not a lot of action in any of them. But again, if you're there for it, if you're looking for a talkie drama, you know, that speaks to you know, the concepts of parenting and bonding and kind of getting over your own personal traumas and mental, you know, the fear that you may be as mentally ill as your father, things of that nature. Um, the, the guilt and trauma of dealing with, you know, a parent going through dementia on their deathbed. Um, then I think you, you'll enjoy this feature. Uh, if none of those things are appealing to you, then yeah, stay as far away from this one as possible because there's nothing else about it that I could, you know, I could sell somebody on. It's like, yeah, well, you'll enjoy the action. There's no action. It's a lot of talking. My one criticism of this movie, and I'll pass it over to you just if you have any thoughts at all on it. My one criticism of this movie is the bit where he's interviewing kids is fine in the beginning and that they go back to it once or twice would have been okay. They go back to it far too often. And it kind of took me out of the narrative. I was very much interested in what Joaquin Phoenix and this kid were doing. I don't really care what these rambling kids were saying after about the first two or three times they did that. Like, we get it. We get what you're doing. I don't think it lended itself to the narrative in any way. So those are my thoughts on Come On, Come On. For what you saw of it, what did you think? It was a well-done movie from what I saw, but frankly, it was kind of dull. Mm. Uh so not to mention this film has an interesting style that but it kind of made it a little more boring for me in which many of the scenes are recounted by johnny mm -hmm. as he's recording and it kind of felt like someone was reading a storybook to be perfectly frank to to your point and i think this is a valid one the first two movies i think make good use of the black and white film style i don't know why this one was shot in black and white i don't, I don't know, know what either. it added to the feature yeah, that's one of the things I did want to talk about was would these films have been better or worse if they were not shot in black and white? Passing the black and white was so good and added so much to it. That is a critical element of that movie. I don't think you can do it without it. Belfast, again, it was a really stylistic choice to have the black and white be the past, the mm -hmm. color being the future and the hope for the future as we see with the films. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why this movie was shot in black and white. I don't get it. The music was all very, it was all, I think it was mostly like public domain um, mm-hmm. uh, classical music. And it's just very easy to kind of drift off to it for a lack of better terms. You know, I, I was watching it and I was a little intrigued by what was going on, but it's just, I don't know. I don't want to say it's soothing, but it's mm-hmm. one of those films that you can have on in the background and really not take notice of. Um, yeah, I, I almost think that filming it in black and white did the film a disservice. I think you've said you've been to New York City. Um, I know you said you've lived in London for a period of time. You you have seen some big cities. Part of the attraction of the city is how vibrant and colorful they can be despite you know they're you know made of concrete and steel but i mean the the new york the the new york city the metropolitan area is a character in and of itself and i think you lose that when you go to black and white you don't see how rich the color is is there like compare that with west side story and how steven spielberg shot that part of new york city and how despite the fact that it was a lot of grays how vibrant the color was also contrast that with Belfast, where despite the fact that it was shot in black and white, they somehow he somehow created a vibrant color palette with just black and white. They practically shine and glow in that movie. As a very much, to- it's extremely. It's I don't want to use this term lightly, but it seems like it's extremely high definition black and white. Yes, as opposed to this one, which feels like it's a hundred years old. You know, and they just sort of restored footage from you know that was shot on reels back in like 1950. And I cannot find a single reason why this was black and white other than somebody just said they thought it would look cool. I I can't find anyone saying it was a budgetary reason. It was a symbolic reason. Mm -hmm. It was an homage to another film or to another style. And that really does this film a disservice. I'm not going to lie. I also really didn't get a lot from Johnny's job as a radio journalist. I get that he's traveling across the country and interviewing children, but I don't really get what it's for. Eh, because children say the darndest things. Yeah, you know, like, I, that's the reason I have my son on here. Like, come on, be funny. <laughs> well, it, does, it doesn't say what... No, I'm just saying he doesn't say who he works for, right. where these uh, audio recordings are going to end up. To we get point, all these I, thought, do- I just thought he was a documentary filmmaker. Like, the, that, that he's a radio journalist? I was like... That does not, that's not clear in the movie at all. I, Mm-mm. you know, I got that when I read the plot synopsis and it surprised me because I just thought he was shooting documentary footage. Yeah. I mean, we get all these scenes of them getting uh, just uh, background noise, recording kids playing at the park and on the beach and near the trains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are kind of cool scenes. And I do like the scenes of him showing uh, Jesse how to work the audio equipment. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, there's just not a lot to really grab your attention. And yeah, Jesse's personality, as it were, I, again, I thought he was autistic, but some of the stuff he says, I'm just like, and why am I supposed to be interested in this kid? You get this bizarre scene where he just talking about, it's like, what was my mom like when she was a kid? I heard she got in trouble a lot. I learned she had an abortion. It's like, hi. So you have a sister. I have two kids. We are not utterly inexperienced with how children communicate my wife is a teacher and so i hear those stories i felt his presentation was very truthful in how kids talk i mean 
it wasn't any less obnoxious you know, or anything like that. You know, he does think like he locks himself in the bathroom at one point because he's not getting attention from Johnny. He, you know, he hides in an alley and then and, and boy, have I been there where you you turn around, your kid's gone and you're in a crowded street and you don't know where they are. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're sweating a, a gallon of sweat. Um, you know, you're afraid you've lost your child forever. Like, like to me, I can forgive a lot of Jesse's character because I feel like I've seen a million and one kids act that way, you know, and t- communicate that way and say, you know, I, I my, both my children can be a bit, can be a bit rambling at times. And I have to be like, I, I'm going to need you to get to a point. <laughs> so just find, find a point and get there. Um, you know, I don't want them to turn into adults who can't get to a point in less than 20 minutes. Anyway, um, so anything else about uh, come on, come on? If not, we'll uh, we'll draw to a close. Again, I slept through too much of this. Okay. It is yeah. interesting to see Gabby Hoffman back in movies. She was a former uh, child actor. We saw her in Sleepless in Seattle, Field of Dreams when she was a kid. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, her uh, roles as a teenager were very lacking. Um, mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to admit I've seen the movie Volcano. Which she was Volcano in. Volcano is awesome. Shut your face. Volcano is fantastic. I had to watch it with a friend who was a science teacher, and he basically made me watch it because he said, "I'm putting together a study for my stu- my students on how this is not scientifically accurate." To yeah, which I said, no, "Yeah, nobody went to that movie for scientific accuracy. They wanted exactly. to see a volcano explode." Yeah, to which I'm watching the movie, going, "Okay, here's something that's not scientifically accurate. No human being acts like she does." <laughs> Well, folks, that's our triple feature. Our last Oscar bait triple feature here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, at least for this year. Um, however, this is not the last time you'll see Alexis, at least in the month of February. Let's go ahead and pull up your schedule here, Alexis. Uh, February 10th, we will be doing a the Looney Tunes Season 4 from HBO Max, and then we're going to tag on there the Looney Tunes Cartoons Valentine's Extravaganza. February 21st, it'll be her, uh, Alexis Hanna, and a host of others doing the Book of Boba Fett Season 1. Uh, Alexis Hanna will be on her first damn new Hollywood, I think, for the year. Uh, she wants to come and talk about Uncharted uh, based on the PlayStation game, so we'll see you then. And then she's got a double shot on February 24th, a noon and a 10 o'clock show. You're like a comedian. You know, you get the early show and the late show. So uh, at her request, at her behest, we are doing Cuphead season, the Cuphead show season one, and then her and Jason Teasley uh, are going to dance with their eagles for your viewing pleasure as we talk John Cena's Peacemaker, apparently the feel-good hit of the year. So that's what's coming up for Alexis in February. Um, as far as the rest of the week goes, yesterday, Andrew and Evan and I talked Masters of the Universe. Earlier today, uh, we have a re-airing of Sean and I putting Halle Berry's Catwoman on trial, which was a uh, grand old time. Tomorrow, we've got a review of Battle Bee, Circus of Doom, plus re-airs of our Damn You Hollywood for the Motley Crue movie, The Dirt, plus the Motley Crue soundtrack to The Dirt review. Uh, Pat will be back. We missed the Four Kings of Boxing in January, so we're going to do two here in the month of February. First up is uh, we're back to talking about Roberto Duran. He fought... Damn near got killed by Tommy Hearns, uh, but he also fought Marvin Hagler in a fight for the ages. We'll talk about both of those. On Friday, we've got a re-airing of Corn the Nothing. 
Um, plus a re-airing of an alternative commentary for Keith Thurman versus Josecito Lopez, as Keith Thurman will be fighting Saturday night. Um, we'll also re-air his fight with Manny Pacquiao. My son, the fastest rising star of the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network panelists, and I will be doing a special Damn You Hollywood for Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania, and the uh, Ice Age, The Adventures of Buck Wild. Um, in so they the, better enjoy that. Better enjoy the old Ice Age movies because we're getting no more scrat. Oh, uh, is that, that that a fact? Oh, you didn't hear? They lost the uh, rights to it. There was a uh, decades-long lawsuit with a woman who claimed that she designed scrat. Okay, she I, finally won. I saw something like that, but I don't care about the Ice Age movies or that <laughs> character. So I was like, "All right, cool, whatevs." Uh, yay for for lawsuits. Um, so. I like the first Ice Age movie. It's on Disney Plus now. I actually like having that on the background. It still makes me laugh. Yeah, my son's been enjoying them. He's been he's been binging the whole thing in preparation for this. But you know, and they were the ones I've seen were cute, but you know, they 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 don't stick. You know, uh, in any case, Keith Thurman and Mario Barrios will be fighting on a Fox pay-per-view Saturday night. And I will be joined by Dan Lasby for an alternative commentary. And then uh, ending the week that was uh, Dave Wright will be joining me to do at Gretzko season four. Um, we won't be doing a full podcast, but my son and I are going to go see Check as forever. So look for a, t- a three minute TikTok review as we hoot and howl and laugh hysterically for three minutes on TikTok about Jackass Forever. Sure to be uh, the feel-good hit of springtime here uh, in 2022. And that's that's all my plugs. What do you got, sister? Make sure you show your son the list of injuries that Johnny Knoxville occur- or, uh, accumulated while making this movie, okay? <laughs> my my son loves loved the first Jackass movie. Just thought it was hysterical. But he actually said to me, he was like, yeah, I would never do this stuff. It's just fun to laugh at idiots hurting themselves. I was like, yeah. Ah! You're a smart child. Yeah, apparently they actually released a list of everything that Johnny Knoxville got. And it's like, how is this man able to walk, let alone breathe, without something stuck in his chest? Yeah, it's he's going to be interesting in the next 10 to 20 years. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, the Book of Boba Fett review coming up, I am also going to be discussing that on the MCU's Bleeding Edge. We're doing an episode-by-episode weekly review. We just talked about episode one last week. This Friday, we're going to be talking about episode two. I am moderating uh, these discussions, having a lot of fun talking about that. Uh, we also just put up here on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network uh, our January edition of Tripped Up Trivia in keeping with the movie Uncharted that's coming out. Uh, the theme was video games. Our next edition that's going to be, I believe, going to be airing on February 22nd. Uh, I'm remembering the calendar right Seventh, for once. 27th. Thank yep. you. I don't have the calendar in front of me. Nope, I got you. Uh, is going to be everything related to The Dark Knight. It is entirely Batman themed. This is in uh theme with the upcoming Robert Pattinson Batman film. It's going to be a lot of fun looking at that. So we are still looking for contestants. If you think your knowledge of The Dark Knight eclipses our own, then please get a hold of us. You can find us on either Twitter or Facebook. Let us know that you want to play. And other than, yes, uh, me selling my, you know, most of my month to Mark... For one week. Okay, selling a week of February to Mark to discuss God knows how much stuff. My personal uh, plugs for Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. Um, we are... Uh, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to pull up the 
website. I get. I'm sorry. Oh, am I supposed <laughs> to do that every time? Okay, hang on. You don't have to, but you've been doing it almost every time. So I thought you were going to do it every again. time you've asked. Um, sorry. I, sorry. I actually thought about it. I was like, does she want me to do that? It'll be fine. It'll be. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but yes. So. We are actually getting a lot of orders coming in for Valentine's Day. Folks, if you are looking for the perfect geeky romantic gift for your nerdy loved one, go ahead and hit us up on our shops. You can find us on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. As always, We you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hallelujah, our Instagram page is finally back up, but I am still rebuilding it from the base up since our old one had to get deleted thanks to hackers. Yep, there we go. That's our handmade and Amazon shops. You can see we got anything you could possibly want for your nerdy loved ones. Uh, ignore the uh, Maxwell's and the organic oils. That's not us. I don't know why that crap keeps popping up whenever you search my That's stuff. Not my it's fault. I clicked your link. No, I know. It happens whenever I'm trying to pull up my own damn links. Same thing. It is so annoying. Okay. All right. Uh, we are going to be getting ready to go on the road here uh, next month. <sighs> Finally, can't wait to get back on the road. I miss traveling. First convention of the year is the Lexington Toy and Com or Comic and Toy Con. This is our first time going there, but this is a huge show. It is a four-day event. I am really excited to be working that. So hey, uh, happy to finally be in there. After that, Planet Comic Con is coming up here in April in Kansas City. Uh, we are always there for that one. We are actually doing something a little different for that uh, show because we are going to be splitting the table with somebody. Uh, local author Aaron Hollingsworth is going to be working with us and he is going to be selling his books on our table as well. So if you're interested in nerdy jewelry or some really awesome uh, reading material, please be sure to stop on by at Planet Comic Con and come see us. So again, that's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. All right, folks, thank you for joining us here on Triple Feature. She's Alexis Hanna. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. Let's do that again. Come on. <laughs>